Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and with Duncan Castles tending to his butterflies on holiday, joining me today is our transfer market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Graham Hunter and Ian McGarry. This week, we take a deep dive into the background of the Roy Keane, John Walters, Harry Arter fallout and discuss the incident itself, the larger issue of bullying culture in the game, and mental health in football. We talk Spain versus England, as Luis Enrique makes his mark, Harry Kane struggles for form, and we ask how the big clubs feel about their star names leaving on international duty. And, in the spirit of Ireland's woes, we look at manager v player bust-ups that could see some serious sparks fly. Okay, guys, well, where else to start but with Roy Keane and the latest issues coming out of the Republic of Ireland camp after some leaked audio, apparently, of Stephen Ward discusses Roy Keane's altercations with Republic of Ireland players John Waters and Harry Arter. Ian, what do you make of this latest apparent issue in the camp? I think there's a very interesting <clears throat> dichotomy here, Johnny, in that you've got um, someone who is unashamedly old school in Roy Keane expressing his views um, both on the players' characters, I say views, opinions really, on the players' characters that he has picked up on, and then the players themselves um, who have used inadvertently or not social media, a very new school thing, uh, if you like, to then expose Keane for his apparent abuse and follies. Um, Personally, my point of view um, with this is that I have um, encountered many, many situations where coaches confront players and and likewise. uh, It's certainly changed over the years. I I see Keane as someone who is absolutely old school. I think um, anyone who... um, and Graham is one of them who saw him confront Patrick Vieira in the tunnel at Highbury in the infamous incident where uh, Keane believed that Vieira was trying to intimidate Gary Neville. And he says, pick on someone your own size. I'll see you out there. I'll see you out there, he says. And then the referee of, uh, for that game, pretty Polly, Graham Paul, comes in and says, that's enough, boys. That's enough. That's enough. Let's get out there. And so what I see in the transcript of the, the, the Ward's WhatsApp is Keane being himself. Keane's keen looking at players who he sees on the treatment table who should be out training, um, in his view, because he's a guy who would play in a, in, a, in a practice match with a broken leg, never mind in, in an actual game, and someone who, you know, players who should play for their country and everything else. So he's of a different age. Um, and, and I don't necessarily believe that that age is, has had its day. I, I actually think there's a very fine line in elite sport between um, what might be considered bullying in any other workplace, but what is considered to be what's best or what's good or what's um, positive for the team stroke playing staff in football. And we've seen many instances in the last couple of years in other sports, but not necessarily football, where 
athletes have claimed uh, or accused um, bullying, and, and that includes British cycling, gymnastics, where I think that these um, these things, yeah, maybe they're a, a little easier to expose. But in terms of football, I mean, I could tell them a hundred stories about things that have happened in dressing rooms or um, even in the broom cupboard uh, at, at, in dressing rooms. I thought you were going to be talking about um, Boris Becker there. No, no, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the great Archie Knox and Marco Materazzi on his debut actually at Everton uh, when Walter Smith was the manager. Um, when uh, Marco was left with um, uh, no uncertain uh, no uncertain uh, reason as to why he should buck up his game in the second half, having conceded a goal and then and then um, scored an own goal in his debut for Everton. But uh, and Archie basically sorted them out, if you like. But I think Archie Knox, Roy Keane are kind of in the same school, uh, the same era, the same um, school of hard knocks, whereby they think that hard work and sometimes brutal and uh, very, very honest opinions are what's needed to get the best out of a football player. And in the case of John Walters or Harry Arter, anyone else in that squad. Look, Martin O'Neill, I know very well, and he can be a hard man, but he's a hard man with his tongue. He 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 delivers withering um, sort of uh, you know opinions on people. I never forget after the the greatly named Rafael Felipe Scheidt made his debut for Celtic in a pre-season game in Holland, and uh, Martin O'Neill put his arm around him after the game and said, uh, "Rafael, Rafael." You and I are the same. We're the same. And and, and Raphael thought this was a compliment. Uh, he said, oh, are we gaffer? Are we? And, and then Martin said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except I'm 49 and I could have played that game better than you did. That's why we're the same. So, you know, that, that kind of attitude and, and, and taciturn um, method of, of coaching, I think probably is going out of style, but I don't, I don't believe that it's necessarily invaluable. And... Um, for Keane to, to say the words he did, yes, they were profane, yes, they were harsh, but you know, Keane is a winner and he wants to take the best out of people. And I think what we're seeing is a, a, a sort of changing of the guard in regards to the way that people interpret the words of their coach and then, as I said, expose them through social media, which is something that Keane obviously didn't expect. Graham, what do you make of this? Yeah, look... I would start at the beginning and, um, you know, because I wasn't there, I look at Martin O'Neill's words and he says, first of all, Stephen Ward's summary of events doesn't tally with what um, Roy Keane has said to the Ireland manager. So let's let's put that down, number one. I think it's worth saying. Um, if, if this proves... <clears throat> that it has been accurately reported and, and these things happened at or around the version that Stephen Ward has passed on. And again, Martin O'Neill says, Stephen wasn't there, he's just picking up on things, which in football speak, in press conference speak, never mind football, kind of means, ah, well, you're not far away. But it doesn't say it's 100% accurate. But if this proves to be true, then the point I would go to is something that I hold dearly in life. And that is one of the tasks that all of us face, never mind us, Footballers, managers, journalists, parents in life is not to, to pass on how you've been treated 
now patently there's a huge can of worms there about what goes on in society about something that's done to you and then you do it again to others but there's you know if if this proves to have been the way that Roy Keane acted accusing people of laziness cowardice um absconding from duty then it's obviously a direct replica of what is an unchallenged truth about what Matt McCarthy said to Roy Keane in Saipan. Now, I, I think that in, in life, particularly if you're going to be a leader of a group or even a sergeant major for a group, and you're going to either <clears throat> convince or teach or cajole um, and, and I don't go too far away from some of the themes that Ian touched on, Johnny, about, you know, the behaviour within closed door, behind closed doors in football that can, if exposed, look like bullying, but in fact is, is part of the fabric of a team sport and the way in which people mo are motivated because we're all so very different. However, when, you know, Roy Keane causes the single most important discussed moment of his career by walking out in um, in the build-up to the Japan-Korea, South Korea World Cup, and, and then appears to have behaved very much like the guy that he turned on then, then I think it's not good enough. It's not acceptable. And I think he should be, before anybody else is to remonstrate with him, he should be remonstrating with himself. Secondly, um, there are, it, it's unfortunate, and this has caught me, so I'm, I, I'm definitely not being hypocritical. I'm not necessarily embracing it. But in life, sometimes you can take actions that you're sure are justified or are right, but the context, the situation will say, well, it doesn't matter if you were right. It's not good enough. Now, whatever Roy Keane's role is, whether it's there to to bully the press or to scare the media or to be a buttress to Martin O'Neill or to give brilliant analytical advice to the senior coach because Roy Keane sees things in training that Martin O'Neill values, whatever it is, for good or bad, and on a salary which it's been reported is €750,000 a season, whatever his role is, he can't um, turn straw into gold. And nor can Martin O'Neill. And right now, there, there is patently a dearth of talent available to Ireland. Now, Harry Arter is 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 patently one of those who is able. He's an able footballer, and and it's reported now that because of whatever happened between him and Keane, he doesn't want to play anymore. Now we can drip scorn on that if if you really want to. But I go back to my point that once you boil it down, the net result for Ireland is. Well, no Harry Arter, currently at least. Now, if Harry Arter and um, the striker, Walters, has been, have been behaving in a way which each of us listening to this, talking on this or listening to this podcast, would find natural that has driven Roy Keane to desperation, to, to fury, to... Uh, if any, if we would look, if we had a little um, sort of, sort of what you call it, magic ball, and we could look back over the last eighteen months, and we could look at Walters 
we could look at um, Arthur and we could say, well, that's not good enough. Their behaviour, their attention to detail, their intensity in training. If all of those were 100% out with the bounds of what the players should be doing, number one, the manager should have addressed it before now. Number two, there are better ways than it's being reported Roy Keane employed in order to cajole them. Number three, if it simply was that these guys were tending injuries, um, the days of playing, as you said, Ian, on, on kind of half a leg, they're gone. You remember how, how we all thought that, that Arjun Robin was a little bit too precious, Dennis Bergkamp was a little bit too... I'm not quite right, I'm not 100% right, or something, but then you look at what Robin, as soon as he got fit, fully fit, and was taught a regime to protect himself, and was given a diet that suited him, you know, he conquered the world with Bayern Munich. We're, we're in an era where um, there are other ways to get um, footballers who may not be fully fit, or who may be lacking a little bit of conviction about their well-being onto a pitch than Keane showed. Now, turning the page, I'm putting a clear marker like you get in supermarket queues between our goods and their goods, this subject and that subject. Ian, you're right. Over and over again, I've spoken to, like, for example, an icon of better times for Ireland would be Damien Duff. And Damien, um, when I interviewed him for the for the big interview podcast, talked to me about the behaviour of people, including Tim Sherwood and Kenny Dalgleish at Blackburn towards him when he was there, which he said, you know, right now they'd be jailed. And he said it with no sort of rancor, no um, abiding, you know, I, I want to get back at them. He then went on to talk about really specific ways in which Sherwood and Dalgleish rescued his Blackburn career, looked after him, spoke to his parents, did all the good things as well. But things were, as as, um, as trainees, they would be told after a hard day's work, right now you're training, you're cleaning the showers, fine. They would set to it, they would have it clean, they would present it to one of the senior people at the in the management side of the club, who then who take a piss in the showers in front of them, say, do it again. Now, that's kind of, that'll cause some people to snicker and, you know, it's it's hardly jailable. But if you start to think about the way in which younger players were kicked at uh, United, was it that younger play- players were put in the tumble dryers in the era of the class of 92? The bullying, the, the yelling, the... The sort of deprival of privileges, the fining, the cutting up of clothes, whatever it might be. When it ended in, in footballers going, I'll and show you, or, or I will come through this. And traditionally now, when, Johnny, I can't speak for you, but when Ian or I speak to these <clears throat> senior pros now who've, who are on the verge of retirement or are retired and they look back, they say, well, what was the making of me? It did change me. It did toughen me up. It was horrible. I went home and I cried. It was bullying right now. You would be referred to social services. But very few of them who've made it want that behaviour taken back. Those who didn't make it probably do want that behaviour taken back. What I would say, honestly, is that I don't I, I don't ally what Roy Keane is, is proposed to have said to these two with the tales that we're told about, if you want to call it bullying with a purpose, or, 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 a, or a horrific regime whereby you, you were... Effectively, it was like squad bashing or like being in the army where you were torn down, torn down to your bare minimum and then built up again to see if you could take it. Um, 
And I don't think that's what happened. These are two senior pros, um, each of whom in their club career, I think, has, particularly Walters, has already shown that they can be relied on, that they are tough. And, and the way it reads, if it's true, I go back to that point, if it's true, the way it reads is that Roy Keane, rather than being old school, has simply taken a dislike to the pair of them and can't abide being associated with the dearth of talent and the failure that's happening on his watch with Martin O'Neill in charge of Ireland. That's how I interpret it, and it makes me sad. Graham, it's worth touching on whether or not this is a distinctly British culture, given your associations with Spanish football. Is that bullying element something you've seen over there? Um, in elite football, no. Um, that's Johnny, let me just draw breath and think, because um, you know I've only been over here 17, 18 years. And therefore, we're talking about, you know, even, even the things that you and I were talking about, we're probably talking about a, a, a style of management, a st- not a style of training ground behaviour, not management, that, you know, has, has begun to die out even in Britain. So I'm thinking very hard, indeed. Have I seen coaches flaying their players verbally? Um, have I seen situations where a coach and a player are just irreconcilable because of hatred for each other. Uh, yes. Um, but your Spanish training ground, in terms of what we've been talking about, humiliation, physical cajoling, uh, deliberately stripping people down to their bare elements to see if they've got the, the tungsten to, to, to survive it, in the, in the elite level, by which I mean the top division and top and a half division I haven't seen. Lower than that, I'm certain, because the football changes dramatically once you get beyond the top five, six, seven, eight, nine of the second division or what we would call a championship in, in, in Britain. So, um, no, but I'll tell you what you've brought to my mind. Unai Emery, for example, is, is by no means a bully, but he's... He's remorseless in, in what he wants people to do. Because he was very nervous as a footballer and because he wanted to eliminate anxiety, he became a person both as um, a footballer and then as a trainee coach and then as a successful coach who tried to eliminate um, the unpredictability, the element of chance, by planning everything and by drilling into his pupils what he wanted to happen at Almeria, Valencia, Sevilla. And therefore, he was a guy who could get very irascible, very, who had very short patience um, if his players weren't applying that. And at Paris Saint-Germain last season with Neymar, he found that what he had to do was rip that up and say two things. One, great players of, of, of his um, pertinence, people who were around him, he could take them to a certain point, but he couldn't bully them into doing exactly what he wanted. He had to let personality flourish, creativity flourish, invention and anarchy flourish at a certain stage of a day, whether it be some of the parts of training, some of their nighttime behaviour, or what they did in matches. And the other thing was that rather than um, 
taking a Roy Keane approach to Neymar and saying, do this, don't do that, stop doing this. You're under my control now. Never mind your transfer fee. I'm the boss. He had to take him aside, um, convince him, put an arm around the shoulder, try and make sure he was happy. That was in a situation where there was a plethora of talent, Johnny, compared to Ireland, where there's a drought. And as such an I Emery, a guy who could turn on a player, a guy who could say to a player, you're finished here, you're out, you're no good, or could just cut him out altogether, as could Pep Guardiola and has done with Slatan, with uh, Yaya Toure twice. And, and Pep maybe is one of those who's who's closest to to what Keane can sound like, not, not closest to Keane in personality. But Pep will flay his footballers with unbelievable language, unbelievable what what they what they might find acidic, petrifying, vitriolic abuse if they're not doing what they're told, or if he thinks they're he's got a similar concept of commitment and bravery to Keane. It's 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 applied to different concepts like geometry on the pitch or how close you are to the player you're supposed to be providing a passing space for, bravery on the ball. Stick opening the pitch by by playing wide. That's what will get um, Guardiola keen angry rather than Keane's you haven't got big enough bollocks. You're not trying hard enough. Where are you in the in the maelstrom of, of the battle when I need you? These things. But so Pep's approach to, to, to players has needed to be tempered a little bit. And he hasn't tempered it as far as the Unai Emery example with Neymar where He's like, I'm here to make you happy. I'm here to make sure your life's happy and you must reward me. But um, I, I think one, as soon as we open the debate onwards to, to Spain, Johnny, or to the modern coaches who've succeeded, which apart from a promotion with Sunderland, Roy Keane hasn't, I think it leaves in evidence. I think it puts a magnifying glass on the fact that whatever reason Keane was doing this for, allegedly, it's still to be proven. I have to say... I trust the large majority of what I'm reading and hearing because it fits. But that doesn't convict anybody. That aside, if what is alleged is true, then the magnifying glass says that for whatever reason Roy Keane was doing it, one, he was repeating something that he resented hugely when it was done to him. And two, the net result is is crap. The, the thing is with this, it's, it's not... Football is never, ever black and white um, if it were then coaches would have figured out long before now how to win football matches there's, there's, there is a massive grey area um, which applies to method, which applies to tactics which applies to uh, recruitment and sales and how you get a team to function um, and there's also an element of which no one can control which is of good fortune um, which no winning team can do without and in the circumstances of Keane or, or, or those that Graham has described regarding Pep, uh, Guardiola, <clears throat> you need um, to have a, a confluence of these things um, happening at the same time. Uh, with Guardiola, he, he obviously failed to win anything in his first season at Manchester City. Um, I think it's interesting because Graham obviously worked with Pep a long time uh, uh, when he was covering Barcelona, that he talks about 
um, Pep's darker side because uh, in England we have been very used to the uh, smiley Pep, the shiny Pep, who is um, joking and smiling, and it's it certainly um, to the media anyway. Um, whereas those of us who obviously uh, have had conversations with people who work with him know that that's not always the case. And um, for that reason, the whole debate about coaching methods and man management methods um, it, it is, as I said, a great area. You can't necessarily, you can't precise or concise um, a, a right way and a wrong way and say that, that this is you know, how things should be. Um, I think there's got to be, uh, a, 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 I guess, a, um, different influences, um, certainly. So you've got your um, your backroom staff and your coaching staff who obviously give you advice and they'll tell you the secrets of the players that the players won't tell to you um, and you can act on them as you see fit, et cetera, et cetera. And in the case of Keane, I think I agree with Graham in that it's, it's, um, it's something which he has... Uh, experience in his own career as a player and something which he has reacted to, I think, negatively as well. But the modern footballer is a much more aware, educated, social social media active person who um, knows what's going on in terms of the uh, outside world. Yeah, is that not a really important factor as well that football doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum? Because mental health is such a huge issue. That yes, Johnny, absolutely. Well, just in the last week, we've seen um, uh, the issues of potential suicide in um, Leo McKenzie, and then obviously uh, uh, Matt Tootle at um, Notts County talking about his gambling addiction and how that affected his mental health. We've seen Steve Sidwell talk about um, his own mental health when he decided to retire as a player and how difficult that was for him. And you know, people can be very, very, and I say people, I mean the public and fans can be kind of quite, I don't know, a bit fickle and um, say, oh, well, you've got loads of money, so what's wrong with your life type thing. But in actual fact, footballers are individuals and are people the same as the rest of us and therefore are subject to and um, they do suffer from mental um, illness or um any kind of uh of this of the kind of um fractious uh manners of modern life that that most of us experience anyway so um it's it's, it's difficult because um it, i think in roy Keane's world it is black and white you train and if you don't train and he thinks you're faking it then then you are faking it and he'll he'll call you what he's called those guys in the uh transcript but it's not as simple as that um however uh, in a footballer's life uh, they have to deal with an awful lot of stuff which people don't understand recognize interpret realize empathize with which makes it more difficult so when a player's a bad game we just think he's had a stinker where uh, or reggie blinker as we used to say at celtic <laughs> um or or indeed it's actually the fact that there's something going on in his life and you know there are lots of examples of of, of players uh, even just recently, Harry Kane being one who I know we're going to go on to talk about, um, and ask ourselves, well, why is you know why is he underperforming in the way that he has done uh, compared to last season? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it's a mental health issue, but I think it is a physical issue. But again, physical issues are probably just as uh, significant 
for mo- modern professional footballers. The two things, obviously, you're right because the two things go hand in hand, and neither of us know exactly. Um, you know, talked about tight quad with with Walters and um, Arta, but when when a footballer is is feeling particularly one that has to work extra hard because the finesse isn't there, if a footballer is not feeling right, then it gnaws away at them mentally. Or three of us and everybody listening knows that, um, and therefore. It isn't simply about like, well, I might do myself more damage. Quite often, it can it can gnaw away at their self belief or their confidence. And Roy Keane wasn't like that, but it can't be. If if everybody was like Roy Keane, then you know, football would be the world's most popular sport times a million compared to what it is now. Because it'd be like, you know, a mixture of football and cage wrestling. So, what I don't like is that if if you roll things back a little bit and you look at if if the allegations of what he said. Are true. I don't know what has caused him to say it, but roll it back to whatever it was November last year. From the desperate situation Martin O'Neill's regime seems to be in at the moment, ahead of a, a game against Poland where maybe everybody's blood is up and they go and do something special. I don't know. I have my doubts, but I don't know. If you roll it back, you know, at nil-nil in the final whistle in Denmark, in trying to qualify for the World Cup, Harry Art has played, I think, the whole game and they've drawn nil-nil at Denmark. And it's at a point where Harry Art has taken off at half-time in the return leg at home that Denmark run riot. And in my humble opinion, what this stinks of is the fact that the press went mental on uh, Martin O'Neill about his tactical acuity and taking Arter off and going for the game to the extent that with, um, I think, the uh, state broadcaster... Um, interview afterwards infamously there was a feud between Martin and, and this interviewer and it carried on and, and, and there was a you know there was a question about <clears throat> was the fact that the midfield was open and to be fair Keith Andrews in tele- television was devastating about Martin's bet having gone wrong you, you wouldn't hold a manager crucify a manager who's been this successful and who's this clever up for a mistake because you roll the dice Fergie always taught you you take your, your decision you grasp the net, you make the big decision and you accept the consequences of failure. And that's what happened in that 4-1 home defeat against Denmark. But what was held out was you took Arter off. Arter wasn't there. There was a hole in the middle of the midfield and Denmark just went mad, particularly to Eriksson. And my suspicion is that in Roy Keane's mind, Harry Arter or those around him has been have been fueling that and, and pointing the finger and saying, well, we've been at the World Cup there for... Oh, there's been some bleating. That That's one thing that I read from the comments. And the second is, in the aftermath of trying to live with not having qualified for the World Cup, having come so close in such an exciting group, they take on Uruguay, you know, last June, in a very strong Uruguay side. They win 3-1, and John Walters opens the scoring. To this allegation that Walters is suffering from a feud carried over from the Ipswich days, you know, it adds weight to that. Looking, Niels, when you talk about um, Ian saying that, that, that the mental health of football professionals is something we all need to treat more seriously and that because they're wealthy and doing jobs that we wish we were doing, they're not immune to the slings and arrows that, that we all suffer from. That's a good point that I hope this podcast makes regularly. But I go back to this, the guy at the centre of this maelstrom and, and although I defended him loudly, um, inside pan to the loss of some friends in Ireland and although Roy Keane forgave Mick McCarthy quicker than I did because I'm like that I'm a rancorous bugger um, in this instance he's embarrassed himself 
Well, from Roy Keane, a man who seems to be perhaps slightly stuck in the past, to two men who are certainly managers up to speed with modern football and modern life, and that would be Luis Enrique and Gareth Southgate. Spain certainly looked the part against England, Graham. Well, they, 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 they did for large parts of it. I mean, by the time that they're hanging on for the last 15 minutes, I'm not so certain, but I think that's excusable and pardonable. I think that um, we uh, discovered that Luis Enrique's uh, brusque, uh, demanding, um, intense man management style where he's banned mobiles from um, the all meals when the squad's together, they weren't banned before. He's banned, uh, well, he said, rather than going back to Madrid between games, we'll fly straight from London to where I am now, Elche, down near Alicante in, in the southwest of Spain, uh, southeast of Spain, pardon me. Um, his idea is that this brilliant, well, I mean, good training camp that they have in uh, Las Rosas outside, uh, near Majadonda, near outside Madrid, is a place where certain footballers, particularly senior footballers with the Spain team, um, took liberties and, and nicked off into town to see people do things, do business, instead of staying within the, the compound. And Luis Enrique, those are just two examples of him saying, new regime, new rules, here's how it's going to work. And you're going to have to get the discipline back. I know one player, um, I travelled with Spain across the last several tournaments, but the, across the World Cup in Spain, uh, in Russia, flying with them, sharing hotels with them because that was our TV production job and um, that leads you to be able to speak to players off the record more quietly and um, there are certainly some players who came away from the Russian World Cup saying that the old discipline, that the old um, order, um, hunger, um, self-restraint has has been has dissipated. We're on, we're on a theme that Roy Keane would hold dear but Luis Enrique... You know, the talent that you saw, I don't think anybody, anybody listening to this podcast, either of you, was surprised that Spain could still play like that without Silva and Iniesta and Pique. That I don't think that was in debate. We've seen Asensio's won three Champions Leagues already, hasn't he? I think um, Saul's played in at least one, maybe two. Um, we, we knew, or you knew at least, that uh, Chelsea has meant a new lease of life to Marcos Alonso. Um Rodrigo never scored more goals in his life than last season and his opening goal of the season against Atletico Madrid on day one of La Liga um, was what was probably the goal of his career. It was utterly astounding. The cross came in from his cousin, Thiago, with whom he's been playing football since they were four. Blah, blah, blah. I think what has changed um, is is that Luis Enrique is, is creating an atmosphere where he's saying... Um, you will not even be picked for the squad, never mind play for me, unless you're willing to toe the line in terms of rigour. And his immediate um, rapprochement was with um, Sergio Ramos, the captain, hardliner, leader, more than just captain, um, authoritarian, um, who I think, uh, no, who had a poor World Cup, and I think there are very clear reasons for that, that he'd become... Uh, sated after taking his team to a third consecutive Champions League. And I think that um, the Sergio Ramos I saw winning tournaments and his behaviour behind the tournaments um, early on compared to how he viewed Russia, that was something that had to change with PK gone. It was obviously in football terms vital that 
Um, Luis Enrique maintained Sergio Ramos um, and that required not just his football credentials but for him to salute the flag. Thus far he has. Um, the key thing, Johnny, is that it's one game. There will be players who tire of Luis Enrique's hectoring, his, his constant nipping at you. Um, and there will be others who flourish because he wants a brand of football which is much more aggressive, much more quick with the ball, uh, much less pedantic than the, the boring tosh that we saw in um, in Russia, apart from the Portugal game. You know, they they lost their cojones. They didn't take risks with the pass. They didn't show for the ball in a way that was risk-oriented. Iago Aspas has been, finally, um, he should have started every game in the World Cup. Didn't, that was incomprehensible. He's been given his head. Morata is back. That's vital. I don't care how many people have misinterpreted what he did last season. It wasn't that he's rubbish. It wasn't that he doesn't like, he hates Chelsea and London, although I think there are cities he might be happier. He played through a back injury, made things worse. Therefore, he looked sluggish and, and, and not much cop. That isn't the case. So there's a, Ian talked about a confluence of actions, a confluence of occurrences. That's what happened to build up to Monday. I also thought that England weren't, weren't that cute. I thought they missed Raheem Sterling in terms of opening up space and beating a man. Um, I wouldn't have said, I, was, I would no, I'd be specific and say that Harry Kane didn't look that lively or crisp and, and therefore, and, and they're defending for, particularly for uh, the second goal was, you know, it was like Billy Wiz against statues. You, you, you can't do that international level. So, um, Softly, softly, Johnny, but um, I'm agreeing with the original premise. I do think that um, England were exposed. Um, I wasn't fooled, and this is not the populist view of the summer of love for England, but I didn't think that England actually were exceptional in, in Russia. I thought they were functional. They, um, they had some good fortune. They had a good um, set-piece coach who obviously made a difference. And when it came to the teams that they had to beat, they failed. Uh, and, I, and I thought going into the Spain game that you know they didn't have much of a chance, um, not because Spain were poor in the World Cup, and I thought that, that would be easy, but because um, I believe that uh, there was a little bit of a bubble um, about England's summer, which uh, a lot of people chose to ignore. Um, and... One of them was the fact that even though he won the Golden Boot, Hurricane was not on form. And also the fact that uh, England had a fairly easy passage through the tournament uh, until it got to um, the the hard yards um, come the semi-final. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't a massive surprise to me to see them struggle against Spain, especially in that first half where Spain dominated possession. It looked to me like... Um, it was men against boys for you know long periods, ten, twelve minutes, through phases of play, and uh, yeah, I, I, it just seemed to me that the things which um, England had, or sorry, England fans or England commentators had chosen to ignore during the summer had all come home to roost because they don't keep possession well, they don't keep the ball well, they don't make enough chances. There's not enough creation in, in central midfield or behind the strikers, and um, and therefore struggling against Spain was no huge surprise. What worries me, I guess, as much as anything else, and we've touched on this already, is is that Harry Kane in that particular game 
was involved in at least five episodes where he could either score or make a goal opportunity for uh, uh, one of his teammates. And he just looked slow. And I mean that. It, it, was, it was nothing more obvious than that. He was slow to the ball. He was slow in his thought process with regards to anticipating where the ball came in. And I think it's worrying for Spurs uh, and for England. Um, I, I noticed that someone um, pointed out today that he'd played 61 games in the calendar year up till now. And, and that's a lot, but it's not outrageous. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Ian. You're right, it's not outrageous. I absolutely buy that argument. But because I knew we were talking about this today and because what my eyes told me was that he was mentally tired as much as physically mm-hmm. in the World Cup. I agree with and, that. And that I remember when David Pleat started to talk to me about Harry Kane and seeing him um, out on loan and having gone to watch him at Old Trafford and seeing him going for a ball and not getting there. I remember his assessment to me was, Harry, you've got to be sharper. You've got to be a little bit leaner, which is something he didn't impose the way that Pochettino did. And Harry getting lean has been a, a huge boost to his goal-scoring tally. But he said that you have to anticipate, you have to read better. And he talked to Kane a little bit about game reading. Now, one of the things, again, that's improved hugely is his anticipation, his game reading, his, his confidence about what decisions to make instinctively that will bring him into the right position, whether that's in one, two or three or four passes time. So you said something that I think is is at the heart of it. You, you said that at the weekend, pardon me, yeah, Saturday night, you you saw the thought process a little bit dulled, a little bit slow. Well, that was that was the case in 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 the World Cup where the, the slower he got physically, the more tired he got, the more isolated he was, the less good because he's part of a system. At Spurs, the system is very very clear. He understands it intimately, and at England level, it's it's growing to be. A discernible system, with, at least with the philosophy, they don't have the right pieces in the jigsaw yet because they lack a player behind Kane, whether that's deeper behind Kane or at number 10 behind Kane, instead of Deli Alley, whose control of the ball, whose passing, whose idea about what to do with the ball is pinpoint perfect. And in, in Henderson and Dyer, they don't have that and they need that for that system to work. It's like you've got, you've got you know, uh, a hamster that's effectively the Usain Bolt of hamsters. You put him on a wheel and he's not going to go anywhere. He's still going to be on the wheel. And that's what's ailing England beyond Friday at the moment. That the, the type of football that Southgate wants the team to play without somebody in the centre of the midfield who can change tempo, who can take the ball in all situations and who doesn't give it away when pressed, that you, 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 you've got a toy with that back. You don't have Ericsson, Graham. Well, for example, for example, example, it's a perfect example. But over the years of of the football we've been watching, you could name dozens of footballers of different nationalities and and, and English too, who could fulfil that role. It's his job to see whether Foden can fill that role or whether there's somebody else who can, Winks can fill that role. It's it's, that Southgate's job. But I go back to Keane. You talked about the 60, 60, 61 games that he played um, his, his league alone for Spurs last season, he played a, a total of minutes that in the last 10 years, Messi has only superseded twice. So this Messi, who's a far more live athlete, far lighter, uh, far quicker, 
Um, even though he's more talented, that's that we can set aside because that's we're not talking about a talent comparison. Messi's league minutes often over the last 10 years have been two, three, four, or 500 less than Kane suffered in the league. And I'll go back to something else that I heard from Schurler after he won the World Cup with Germany and Zidane, talking retrospectively said, not to me, but said in public about winning the World Cup in 1998. Now, England didn't win, but with a Ferrari and the surge of jingoistic passion that they had, it, you know, it was pretty damn close. Both of those players, Schurler and Zidane, talked about it taking six months to even understand their, their physiology again because they were... You know, they felt as if they were dragging, you know, flimming wood carts behind them with lead weights on their legs. And it was a mental thing, not a physical thing. Mental, mental, mental. Now, Kane, I only looked at the league minutes. So we're talking about Champions League, where Kane's Champions League experience was pretty big. If you think about how they got through beating Real Madrid, if you think about how they played in Turin against Juventus, aside from the minutes... That was a monumental thing that happened in a single season, added to which qualifying for the Champions League again, added to which, I don't know what he scored, 30 and 37, something like that, added to reaching the flipping World Cup semi-final and being 1-0 up in a semi-final of the World Cup in the longest summer of his career and looking for two, three games as if the, there was sludge in his head and, and, and lead in his legs. And being played against Belgium the second time around, which it just it it born it made no sense. The Belgian game was worth winning. The the third fourth playoff was worth competing for. Was worth winning. How did an intelligent forward thinking manager like Gareth Southgate either listen to his sports scientists that he had there with him, or watch Harry Kane with his own eyes, and do anything other than say, "You've got twenty five minutes at the end of the game, mate. That's it." That's all you're fit for. That's what I owe Mauricio Pochettino. That's what I owe your club. That's what I owe you. Because this year has begun. There'll be more times. We'll win the Nations League next summer. Whatever the, whatever the message is. He, he didn't... He, no way did he play in that third, fourth game. It was ridiculous. And again, he, he played as if he was wading through mud. And therefore, leaving him out for this test with England, finally, it is it, irrespective of whether we're playing Luton or Liverpool at the weekend, is... To me, uh, finally, a demonstration of maturity and intelligence and situation reading by Southgate that, that, that the momentum and, and, the, and the adrenaline and rush of blood through his veins in the World Cup denied him. With him having been pulled out, as you say, and uh, obviously Deli Ali also missing this game against Switzerland, Ian, what does it say about the relationship between top players in international football and how do clubs now deem giving away their players to a different medical department, a different coaching department, when they are such enormous value commodities. A player like Neymar, for example, or Cristiano Ronaldo, where the wages alone, if they get a four-week injury, can rack up into the millions. It's true, Johnny. Um, and it's a very good point. Um, thankfully, UF and FIFA have put in place insurance policies now which would make uh, many clubs... Uh, eyes water in the past in terms of uh, crying for joy <laughs> because they, they've now finally um, uh, conceded that they should compensate clubs fully uh, when a player misses uh, games in their domestic competitions uh, due to injury and international duty. But um, it's interesting. I think I think your original point about 
how do players um, sort of empathise or relate to their national duty? Well, in this particular international break, Cristiano Ronaldo has been pictured on a, a lovely yacht, uh, I suspect somewhere on Lake Como, uh, if not somewhere um, in the Mediterranean. So apparently the Portuguese national coach said that it, the decision to um, allow Ronaldo rest time um, was a mutual one between um, the, the Portuguese uh, Football Association and the player himself. Um, as we have seen in the media, the pictures of Ronaldo on a lovely boat uh, makes it look great for him, but not so great for Portugal. Um, Roy Keane would certainly be the man calling him up and telling him to play and be a man um, and play for his country. But what Graham said about Harry Kane playing 61 games and the mental fatigue that that, that you suffer from that, never mind the, the physical um, demands on your body, is a real one. And, and I think it's something that we can't deny in terms of these guys who continually turn up. And remember, Kane is England's captain now as well. And so he's someone who feels a, a, a duty to his country with regards to turning up. And if it were, he is patently um, suffering some kind of, I don't know, physical exhaustion um, that we saw um, in the way that he played against Spain at Wembley on, on Saturday, then um, he's got a big game against Liverpool uh, on Saturday. And I think that there's a balance to be drawn. There always has been a balance to be had with regards to your duties to your country and duties to your club. Um, in terms of Harry Kane, he is a Spurs fan. He loves Spurs and he also is a proud Englishman who loves playing for England. So I think it's been a bit more kind of um, difficult for him to to sort of pick and choose or not even pick and choose, but to actually um, navigate his way through what is um, been a quite a difficult situation for him um, in terms of... Um, qualification um, for Europe Nations League and coming off the back of the World Cup. But, you know, in some countries, and we've seen it with, I think, particularly the Brazilian national team, it's almost, it's not even a question if you're called up. You always turn up because playing for your country is the most important thing. And, you know, there was a lot of rumours last year about, um, no doubt that Neymar did have a broken metatarsal, but, you know, the fact that he got effectively two and a half, three months off ahead of the World Cup was seen as a, a big benefit for, um, for for the Brazil national team going into the World Cup in Russia. So I just don't, you know, I can't see the comparison with someone like Harry Kane, who if he'd gotten that same injury, um, he would certainly want to play for his country. But at the same time, the injury itself would probably have been more prominent or, or sort of treated um, in terms of his priority. Whereas with Neymar, it was almost like, well, that's great. Neymar's got three months off. He's going to be great for the World Cup. Whereas um, in Harry Kane's case, as we saw with um, Wayne Rooney and David Beckham ahead of national uh, big tournaments in the past, it was treated like a national tragedy rather than like a holiday for three months. So there is this disparity um, in terms of culture between where you play your international football and where you play your club football. Okay, gents, well, it's been fascinating, but we're going to have to move on now to the quickfire round. And in the spirit of the Roy Keane, John Walters, Stephen Ward chaos, we are going to look at potential matchups between strongman managers and big time players. So, first of all, I'm going to go with you, Ian. Who would win in a square go 
between. <laughs> that's a Scottish vernacular. I love there. square goat. I love yeah, square yeah, goat. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, or, we'll, or, or, we'll, or a swedge. Well, our southern listeners know what a square goat is. I hope so. Right, we've lost, hey, 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 yeah. What's the southern version? We've lost the Spaniards here. <laughs> <laughs> He's called him it. He's called him it. Ian Terry Horlock versus Graham Sunis. Oh, I knew you were going to throw me this one. Like, I have to say that um, Terry Horlock is probably one of the hardest football men that I have ever seen play, stroke, encountered in my entire life. And Graham Sunis is the same. <laughs> so um, I doubt very much that even even Terry Hurlock would call Suni out, or Suri, I should say, Suri out on, a, on any kind of um, uh, disagreement or, um, or uh, issue he might have had. It's more likely that the two of them would have um, just basically punched each other for about 10 minutes and then went for a beer in the pub afterwards and called it a draw. Graham. Oh. Sir Furious Alex Ferguson. Yep. Against Doug Rugby and perhaps a little explanation as to who Doug Rugby is for our English listeners. Johnny, don't be ridiculous. Have you been in the forest to eat some strange mushrooms this morning? <laughs> perhaps it's know, my age. Know, Imran Khan knows who Doug Rugby is. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Peter Chelsea. Um, look, that, that was pretty obvious, as was Ian's. So we would win that by a million miles, either by strength or nastiness or deviousness. There's no question so we would have won. And uh, Terry would have been found in a, in a bag full of tracksuits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as uh, Big Two Group V and uh, Sir Alex is concerned, again, it's really, really obvious. Unless Sir Alex had um, Archie with him, twos up, you know, no jacket holding. Unless it was a two up with uh, Archie. Big Degroovy could basically have anybody in the world come out smiling, nick onto his moped and drive away without a helmet, which is one of the things that used to drive Fergie mad about him. Um, <laughs> Rugby, obviously, are you kidding? Ian, who do you fancy of Roy Keane against John Walters then? Well, it's been reported um, rather distressingly that, um, that, that Keane walked away from, uh, from John Walters when he, he challenged him. Uh, on the way he spoke to him. Um, but I have to say, um, my sort of experience of Roy Keane uh, through the years has been that, um, you, you know who reminds me of, Johnny? Deadpool. He will take anyone. Mm. And even if he loses an arm, he'll take him again. Mm. And he loses the other arm, he'll take him again. So I'm sorry, if John Waters is listening, yeah, oh, yeah. you're gone. You, you're gone, you, mate. He's been taking the kids to the cinema recently. Just a wee bit. Right. <laughs> they're, not aged, they're not aged enough, but they love it. <laughs> Graham, Norman bites your legs, Hunter, right. versus Brian Clough. Uh, uh, Johnny, oh God. that's just another stupid question. Just read it out to yourself again. Just read it out to yourself again. <laughs> no, Norman Hunter against Brian oh, Clough. second name? Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you see now what I'm saying? Do you see now? Just, listen, nobody's listening. We're off the record. Just think about the questions, okay? Okay, guys, and with that, I'm slamming this particular transfer window shut. Duncan's replacement this week has obviously been Graham. Duncan is off tending to his butterflies on holiday. 
Graham, before we go, perhaps He's you could... in the jail. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> I think he's still in recovery from claiming Davey Neary was better than Willie Miller, but that's another story. No, I think he dived under that mat at Wembley to make sure that Neary didn't sniff his knees. <laughs> yeah, before we go, perhaps you could give us a little bit of an update on uh, what you're doing with the big interview podcast. I'm awfully proud to say that the last uh, live one that was released was... Brian Chucky McClare, uh, recording Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago, very interesting it was too, telling us how um, the proudest boast in his life is that Sir Alex Ferguson told him that he was a sick, see you next Tuesday, and uh, other such <laughs> stories. And with quality like that, it's little uh, surprise that we have gone on to announce that Bet365 are our sponsors, and that uh, very promptly we'll be bringing out um, a new podcast with one of the men who scored the winning goal for an English club in a European final, etc., etc. Kevin Bridges coming down the line. It's all there for you. If the transfer uh, podcast isn't good enough for you, then the big interview can be. And because of Bet365, we'll be there forever and ever and ever. Okay, guys, just a reminder, we are still looking for a sponsor, so if you like the idea of partnering with one of the UK's best football podcasts and talking directly to our listeners about your brand, get in touch through our social media channels. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast. We're trying to build a community on that account, so everyone who follows will get a follow back. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane if you want to speak to me, and more importantly... Our pundits are at Garbo SG and at Bumper Graham, is it Graham? Johnny, can I do the theme music now? Yes. You've got to have a dream. If you <laughs> have a dream, how you gonna make a dream come true? You must not edit that out. Uh, that is people. Or, you, or, or I, w- I will kill you. <laughs> we'll be back next Tuesday before 3 p.m. Until next time, thanks for listening. Transfer talk. Brilliant. Oh, you're going to have that as a theme music now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm out. Magic. <laughs> <laughs>